This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Sabbat Magazine, a gorgeous and award-winning magazine that celebrates modern witchcraft and feminism. Now, I've written for Sabbat a whole bunch of times over the years, and I love them dearly. So I'm especially excited to announce their newest project, Le Tarot de l'Etoile Cachée, which translates to The Tarot of the Hidden Star. This is a new tarot deck of 22 major arcana cards hand-drawn by the enormously talented artist Elisa Seitzinger with an in-depth guide written by yours truly, and it was my honor. The Tarot of the Hidden Star is ornate, contemporary, bold, and so beautiful, and it's available for pre-order now from sabbatmagazine.com. So head on over to Sabbat Magazine, that's S-A-B-A-T magazine.com, and order your Tarot of the Hidden Star today. Today's episode is brought to you by Modern Women. Modern Women is an intersectional feminist line of clothing, art, and paper goods by Sarah Goddess Diener, who some of you might know as the creator of the Many Moons workbooks. Modern Women is a purveyor of feminist and witch goods and apparel. They offer ethically made pieces from Sarah's Los Angeles studio, designed by Sarah herself and hand-produced in the USA. And here's some exciting news. You can now purchase Sarah's final Many Moons workbook at modernwomen.bigcartel.com. This is a lunar workbook with a cult following that contains recipes, spellworking suggestions and advice, tarot talk, and so much more to aid you in your evolution and healing. And it is gorgeous. So go ahead and order Modern Women's Artful Mystical Goods and Volume 2 of the 2018 Many Moons Workbook today at modernwomen.bigcartel.com. The world is filled with bewitching people, and you might be one too. Welcome to the podcast where art is magic, magic is real, and reality is stranger than dreams. I'm Pam Grossman, and this is The Witch Wave. Welcome to the Witch Wave. So, if you're paying any attention at all to entertainment news lately, you know that witches are positively popping right now. To name just a few examples, there's Netflix that's filming their Chilling Adventures of Sabrina series, which is based on the brilliant and beautiful comic book series of the same name. It's a Sabrina the Teenage Witch reboot, 
albeit one that takes place in the 1960s and has a much more horror-tinged flair. It looks awesome. The 1990s show Charmed is also getting a reboot, this time with an all-Latina cast. And the first trailer for the Suspiria reboot was just released, and it looks stunning. Though I must admit that I'm here for pretty much anything that Tilda Swinton does. Then on the festival circuit, there's been Hagazusa from Germany, The Widowed Witch from China, and the BAFTA-winning I Am Not a Witch from Zambia and the UK, and I'm hoping they'll all get a wider release soon so we can all watch them. We've also got lots of witches on the music front, with recent tracks from artists like Princess Nokia, Aziza, and RuPaul's Drag Race star Aja, all of which utilize lyrics and imagery about witches, brujas, and sonic spellcasting. And of course, there's been an explosion of witch lit and witch fashion, not to mention a rise in the popularity of tarot cards and crystals and covens. For someone like me, and presumably someone like you too, who is fascinated by the archetype of the witch, it's an incredibly exciting and abundant time. But it can also feel a little bit confusing, right? Because for every positive image of a healer or helper or badass feminist witch there is, there are still stories of the witch as a villain, a monster, a hellraiser. And a question I get asked a lot is about how I feel about negative stereotypes of witches still being part of these depictions and narratives. For me, I identify both as a witch and with the archetype of the witch. In other words, the witch relates to my spiritual practice, my personal identity, my social and political orientation, my fascination, my life's work. And at any given time, I'm using the word witch to mean slightly different things. And I don't happen to care where you might fall on that spectrum yourself, whether you use that word very seriously or in a tongue-in-cheek way, because there are as many reasons for someone to be attracted to the archetype of the witch as there are people in this world. That said, those of us who are openly interested or involved with the witch are still engaging in a relatively risky pursuit in certain contexts. Yes, I'm blessed to be able to live in a big city, have a podcast, practice and write publicly about witchcraft at this point in time. But here in the U.S., there are many areas and communities where this would still be considered a threat. Likewise, there are places in the world, such as India, Tanzania, Ghana, Papua New Guinea, Saudi Arabia, where to be accused of being a witch is a literal death sentence. That's happening today, right now. So doesn't the Hollywood depiction of witches as evil reinforce these stereotypes and therefore put people in very real danger? 
It's a really difficult question to answer, and one that I've been doing a lot of thinking and writing about of late. What I will say is this. Witches are inherently complicated figures because society's feelings about women and other marginalized people are inherently complicated. I've often said, show me your witches and I'll show you how you feel about women and other vulnerable people in your community. Blatantly positive depictions of witches only really began getting popularized in the 19th century, thanks to writers like Jules Michelet, Charles Godfrey Leland, the American suffragist and abolitionist Matilda Jocelyn Gage, and her son-in-law, L. Frank Baum, who went on to write the book The Wonderful Wizard of Oz with its good witches and bad witches. Before then, witches were almost always considered evil, or at best, morally ambiguous. I think it's no surprise that as women began to rise and gain their own autonomy and visibility, witches began to become infused with associations of freedom, positive feminine power, and hope. But for those of us who identify as witches or with witches, it's important to know the legacy of the witch, to honor our dark history and dark aspects. The witch is rooted in horror and pain, mystery and transformation, beauty and wonder. I think it's important to look at the witch critically even as we enjoy the heck out of her. It's impossible to decouple the witch from her shadowy past or frightening aspects, nor do I think we should. And the fact that now she's a heroine as often as she's a villain is one I find extremely heartening. But when she is shown as evil, I find myself asking, why does she still scare us so much? What fear does this figure actually represent? What painful or illuminating truth is she revealing? Because that is important to look at too. The witch is as full of questions as she is of lessons. And that's why I continue to be under her spell. And that's what I hope to keep exploring, celebrating, and examining with this podcast and the other work that I do. Speaking of questions, I had many of them for my fantastic guest, Jessica Winston of House of Hoodoo, and she educated me and enchanted me in equal measure. But before we get to that, First, let's check and see what's come through on the witch wire. Who is it? Witches. Stevie writes, In the past year, I went through an extremely awful bout of postpartum anxiety and depression and found healing through meditation, crystals, herbs, and oils, essentially through magic. Conventional medicine actually made my situation much worse. Happy it works for others, 
just didn't do it for me. I'm doing okay now, but I'm dealing with pretty nasty PMDD every month. Not looking for any medical advice, but do you have any recommendations for spells, rituals, etc. during this time of the month? Thank you for your amazing podcast. Hi, Stevie. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I'm so sorry to hear about your struggles. I confess I had to Google PMDD, and I learned that it stands for premenstrual dysphoric disorder. And it sounds to me like a rather excruciating, not to mention emotionally wrought version of PMS. Not fun. My heart really goes out to you. If I could take the suffering away from you right now with the wave of a wand, I would. But let's see if we can make you feel at least a little bit better. So from my perspective, you've got two big things going on. First of all, you're a new mom, or at least have a brand new child, which is a big adjustment, even if it's not your first. So you've been contending with the psychological and physiological fallout from that. And the second is that every month, like clockwork, you have pain and extreme discomfort to look forward to. So let's see if we can look at these two things in separate albeit related ways. Now, I don't have children myself, but I understand that motherhood is one of those deeply complicated states of being. In Western modern society, at least, it's both put on a pedestal and completely undervalued and undersupported at the same time. Not to mention the fact that some new moms have postpartum issues, which are chemical as much as they are spiritual. You know, you have this new life and you're supposed to be on top of the world and flooded with love and yet finding yourself feeling some things that I would imagine are really frightening and really upsetting and can bring up so many emotions. I'm really glad that you're finding crystals and meditation to be healing and what I might suggest is that you also connect with a powerful mother goddess right now. She can come from anywhere, whatever stories or myths or Wikipedia entries are attractive to you on an intuitive level. It could be Guan Yin or Mary or Gaia, just someone whose story or energy connects to you and gives you strength and comfort. I recommend that you print out a picture of her or buy a figure of her to put on your altar or someplace special in your home and make a little bit of time each day, even if it's just two minutes in the morning, or when you're pacing in your bedroom, rocking your baby in your arms, or right before you go to sleep, just some window of time that you connect to this image every day. You can thank her, you can ask her for help, or simply just say hello, but she'll be there to bear witness and to remind you that you are not alone and that you are part of a lineage of women who are magical and creative and loving and doing this really difficult, really sacred work. 
regarding your cycle, I recommend definitely figuring out what phase of the moon that your PMDD is occurring during um, and when your period comes as well. And try to do some sort of lunar work around it. The moon is cyclical, the menstrual cycles are cyclical, and there's a lot of associations and links between these two. And people have been making these links for hundreds, if not thousands of years. So whether or not the moon is new or full or waxing or waning represents different energies. And you can channel some of the power, even of your pain, to do some really potent spell work or meditation right now. I recommend a book called Moon Mysteries, Reclaiming Women's Menstrual Wisdom. Um, but there are lots of them out there that talk about the relationship between the menses and the moon. And I think you'll find some deep wisdom and inspiring rituals when you do that research. But all of this is also a reminder that so much of the female experience is still so taboo. For many of us who were born with a uterus, having our period is a completely healthy, normal thing. And yet there's still so much shame and secrecy around it. So I hope you will also do some extra work around tenderness and self-love during this time too. Well, I don't think we should isolate menstruating people or send them to the proverbial red tent anymore. I do think there is something to be said for using your cycle as a signal to turn inward, to relax and recharge. If you know that once a month, yes, you may have pain and high emotions, but you also use that time to give yourself a beautiful bath or an evening of journaling or some favorite music to listen to. It may shift your energy around this a bit. You can light a candle for yourself or buy yourself a bright bouquet of flowers. The mother goddess that you choose to connect with will be helpful here too because she'll not only support you energetically to be a stronger mom for your child, but she'll remind you to mother yourself too and to treat yourself with extra gentleness and care as you're going through these cycles. I hope you feel better soon, and I'm sending you and your little one my love. Now, on to my guest. Jessica Winston is a root worker slash hoodoo practitioner, and she is also the force behind House of Hoodoo, a business where she creates blessed spell candles, and sacred smudge bundles, as well as offering private spiritual consultations. Jessica also has a popular Instagram feed where she shares her experiences and thoughts about the work and workings that she does. She is a very busy woman, so it was a great honor to share time and conversation with her. She joined me via Skype from her home in the magical city of New Orleans. (music) 
Jessica Winston, welcome to The Witch Wave. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to talk to you today. So I was going through your website and your amazing Instagram and, you know, trying to figure out the best way to describe you. And I thought I'm best off using the words that you use to describe yourself. You are the force behind the house of hoodoo. I'm using the word force, (laughs) but that's your business. You're a root worker, a hoodoo practitioner, and a voodoo priestess. Is that all correct? Correct. And am I pronouncing everything in the way that you prefer? I prefer, instead of saying voodoo, to say voodoo, because that's a little bit more traditional. And also, it differentiates hoodoo from the voodoo, instead of like hoodoo voodoo. Yes. So I'm so glad that you corrected me on that. And thank you for that, um, because that was going to be my first question for you, which is, you know, when I was growing up, there was like this cartoon version of voodoo that I was familiar with. You know, it's like the voodoo of songs or the voodoo you might see in certain, I don't know, movies or TV. And of course, voodoo is obviously much more rich and nuanced than a lot of the depictions. And then there are, you know, other words that swirl around that we might hear. We might hear hoodoo. We might hear root worker. So would you mind giving both me and my listeners kind of a primer and help us to define some of these words so we can make sure we're getting everything accurate? Okay, so voodoo... We spell it in Haitian voodoo. We spell we spell it V O D O U. Um, in, in in places in Africa, it would be spelled with an N at the end, and some people pronounce the N, and some people don't pronounce the N. So it could be either voodoo or vodun or vudon. You'll hear that often. It's but it's used interchangeably. The word voodoo literally means a family of spirit or a collection of spirit. Um, Oftentimes when I speak about about my tradition in the Vodou, I always call it the Vodou. Or even instead of uh, when I refer to my spirits, it's like I, I'll, let's say in a conversation, I'll say, you know, my Vodou do this and that. And my Vodou like uh, wine or they like red. But I'm talking about the family, the collection of spirits that I have. Excellent. Okay. And so then there's the word hoodoo that you use to describe yourself as well or hoodoo practitioner. And yes. I think I know what that means, but I'd love to hear it from you. You have there's hoodoo, root work, conjure, which essentially is the same, um, just different names for the same practice. And that is a practice that was created here in the in the states by African Americans, who once they were um, well by Africans, uh, once they landed, you know, once they were brought here uh, for slavery, they just had to make do with what was available. Um, became close allies with the Native Americans. And so that's it's it's a mix. It's a little bit of a lexicon melting pot of a tradition. And the word hoodoo root word conjure is usually, or you'll, you'll hear people call themselves um, uh, conjure doctor, root doctor, but it's all essentially the same practice. I like to use the word hoodoo because I'm a, um, I can't, I'm not necessarily, I wasn't born in the States, therefore, hoodoo is not something that was passed down through family, because I was not born here. I was born in the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. 
And so the word hoodoo for me, it's much more flexible than, than the word root work or the word conjure. I associate those two terms with more old school, more traditional um, practitioners, even though I do consider myself a root worker in, in a lot of ways because I have learned from old school root workers. But for my business, I wanted to give it a little bit more of a um, loose energy to it, a little bit more flowy energy to it, and not just attach the traditional root work conjure, because then that, again, gives me the flexibility to play with other things. Fantastic. So just to kind of distill this down, so voodoo is the religious belief system that's coming from Haiti and the Dominican Republic, I believe, as well. Um, mm-hmm. And that's then that was then filtered up into New Orleans, whereas hoodoo is um, an Americanized interpretation of some of these African diaspora religions and practices mixed together with some Native American and, you know, kind of also, I believe there's some Catholicism blended into all of these practices too. Um, Is that right? Yes. Um, So Vodou came from, from various parts of Africa and through the diaspora, it went to Haiti, which is the same island, you know, Haiti, Dominican Republic, the same island, you know, two countries occupying the same space, a lot of other areas in the Caribbean as well. It went to South America, it went to Cuba and and made it to the States and made it to New Orleans. And, um, and it's, it's a culture, it's a tradition, you know, when you think about it, I want to, like, part of what I do is to try to get people to grasp what a culture is, that Vodou is a culture. Some people call it a religion, and that it's a term that we use when we want to explain it for, you know, for difficult audiences who have a tough time understanding what, what the culture itself involved. But it's not, we don't call it a religion. Mm. Um, we call it a culture. Got it. Okay. We call it a culture. It's like, Imagine growing up with your family and what is culture for you, what is foods you learn to cook. You know, each culture has its own form of spirituality. Each culture has its own traditions, its own ancestors, its own language, and its own music and dance. And that's Vodou. It's a culture. It's not something that you can do on your own. It's not something that you practice as part of a family. Excellent. Excellent. That makes sense to me. So I would love to hear more about your background before we get into, you know, your actual practice and your business, because I have so many questions about that, too. (laughs) Um, But you said you're from the Caribbean. I'd love to hear your journey, you know, becoming a voodoo priestess. And I was reading in your uh, website that you've had kind of a, a stop and start journey through various different spiritual practices and explorations. So how did how did you come to be, madam? (laughs) (laughs) So I was born in Dominican Republic, and I came to the States um, when I was a young teenager. So I was exposed. Dominican Republic has an interesting connection with its own roots. It's become very uh, Catholicism has taken over a lot of it. So the Vodou and all of our indigenous practices are so, so secret, more secretive than in most places, I believe. So I feel like Haiti, it's a, it's a bit more open and, um, and, ex- and exposes the, the Vodou more than, than we do. And that's um, what I love about it. I was exposed to it since I was very young because my grandmother from my mother's side is still very much a part of it, a practitioner. She is in it. Like this is something that we inherited 
um, that I inherited from both my father and my mother's side. Even though from my father's side, it was a bit, a lot more hush-hush and a bit more denied than my mom's side. My my grandmother is has no shame about it. She's like, this is my life. This is what I do. This is what I love. These spirits have helped me. These spirits have given me everything. I'm nothing without them, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. So, yeah, so she, um, growing up with her was interesting because I'm the eldest from my mother's side and I would go, you know, see tarot readers and healers and her witches and her brujos and this and that and then the santeros and the voodoo people with her. In Dominican Republic, there's not much separation as far as like spiritualists, at, at least not when I was younger. I'm not sure how things are now, but when I was younger, everybody was a part of this like gumbo, right? It was a part of the soup. If you were a spiritualist, or if you were Santero, if you're a voodoo, you were all part of the same mix. Mm-hmm. Um, there wasn't this big divide within the traditions, and that's and that's the birth of Dominican voodoo has that blend of the Orishas and the Lua. Yes, the, and those are deities, correct? Yes, Just, yes. yes. So in, in Haitian voodoo, we call them Lua, and that's the name of the deities or the spirits of that lineage. In um, in Yoruba traditions, Lukumi, Santeria, Ocha, they call them Orishas. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank and- you. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, I think that's really helpful because I've heard people use those words interchangeably. And I, I know that they are referring to roughly the same deities or energies. And yet I feel like people aren't often clear on which countries use which words um Mm -hmm. you know so so i really appreciate that clarification well the deity the 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 spirits are very are very different but the word means the same thing it's just a different language can you clarify that for me so the orishas let's say the orishas belong to a certain lineage of africa and the lua belong to a specific lineage of africa and also of haiti um, because there are some Lua that you won't find in Africa because they were born in Haiti during the Haitian Revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they were born. They were born from of the land and of you know of the times of the culture of the conditions. Um, so let's say uh, Orisha. It's just a different. La- it's the same word for a different language. Yep, got it. Where, yes. So Orisha is the the term Orisha, Orisha means more like master of the head. Where the term um, lua, it's more like the laws of of our culture, the laws of spirituality, the law, the laws of the voodoo. Like these spirits create the law. But essentially, it's it's um, we use those terms to you know the 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 santeros use orisha to refer to their spirits, and we use lua or voodoo to refer to our spirits. They're not the same spirits, though. Each lineage has has its own set of spirits, which cannot be used interchangeably because it's not the same spirit. See, that's where I am totally mistaken, because in my reading of these different uh, practices, I thought, for example, like Yamaya, uh, you know, is similar or the same as Yamanje. Am I mispronouncing? Oh, Iman, Imanja. So mm-hmm. Imanja belongs, Imanja and Yamaya are the same. It's That is the, the Santeria version of the Brazilians. Yes. So she, and yeah. she's a deity or a goddess of healing and of water and mm-hmm. yes. So, okay. So there are some that have the same kind of stories, but different names, but then there are others which might be unique to different, uh, different backgrounds. Right. Is that correct? 
Yes, for instance, a lot of people like to use Yemaya and La Siren. Yemaya belongs to Yoruba traditions. She belongs to Santeria. And La Siren belongs to Vodou, to Haitian Vodou, um, to Vodou in general. And they are both, they're different. They are, they belong in the same legion, meaning water spirits, but they're not the same. They're different spirits. So La Siren is a mermaid, where Yemaya is has physical form like a woman Mm, interesting it kind of reminds me of um and forgive the clunky comparison here but you know in greek mythology there's hecate the goddess of witchcraft and liminality and darkness and magic and then there's a version of her in roman mythology that's trivia the three-faced um, goddess, and they're mm-hmm. related to each other, and one might have even morphed into the other, but they're not exactly the same. Exactly. So La Siren and Yemaya are related to each other because they are from the same legion of water spirits. In Africa, this legion is called Mamiwata, Mother Water. Yes, I was just about to bring that up because I noticed you referred to them, uh, I think it's on your Instagram page, and I was first introduced to those deities uh, from this gorgeous exhibition that the Smithsonian actually put on in D.C. a number of years ago. And I have this beautiful book of all these different versions of them. And again, I thought she was a she, but I learned recently that that's actually a plural term for mm-hmm. many different water spirits. Absolutely. Mami Wata is not, is not a she. It's not a singular spirit. It's all the water spirits. It's the turtles, it's the crocodiles, it's the water spirits. You know, it's the river snakes, it's Toshun, it's Yamaya, it's La Siren. It's all, everything that comes from the water, every spirit, every animal, every creature that comes from the water, that is a plo- that is Mami Wata, mother water. So that, that image that we see of them, which is often an image of a woman and she's holding a snake, sometimes two snakes, would it be incorrect to refer to her as Mami Wata? Or is she something else? She is a part of Mamiwata. And the thing is that people pay attention to the image of the woman when the actual Mamiwata are the snakes, not the woman. Really? Oh, mm-hmm. that's fascinating. Oh, they that's... see the image of this woman with the snakes and they're like, oh my God, Mamiwata. It's like, well, the, the woman, it's beautiful. And she, and she is embodying an image of a fe- you know, the feminine energy of mother water. But the actual mummy what that are the snakes and they're green because they're they're water snakes. Gorgeous. I love it. I love it. So we're talking quite a bit about a lot of water deities. Um, but I know that a lot of the kind of work that you do is very fiery. You create mm-hmm. these um, what you call fixed candles, these candles that are blessed, and there are different intentions behind them. You know, you have a candle for drawing money to someone. You have a candle for drawing love, a candle for protection, for health, and so on. And if I'm not mistaken, this is one of your primary um, streams for your business is creating these candles and and selling them to clients online. And I'd love to hear more about how you began to create these candles and why you think candle magic is particularly effective. I have always had an affinity for for candles, candle scented candles, unscented candle, prayer candles, any kind of candles. Um, 
and I never, and it's, it's, I've had a very interesting journey with candles. Um, I, I don't know if it's a thing of exposure cause you know, I grew up, uh, in the Caribbean in Catholicism uses a lot of candles. We, we use candles to pray to our spirits, to pray to our saints. You know, I always had my grandmother with candles, with elaborate altars full of candles. We would go to church and light candles. I've always had this connection with using candles to pray, using candles to communicate, using candles to light the way so the spirits can see me. So I'm visible to them. If they can't see me for whatever reason here, I'm lighting a candle. Now there's this beacon of light, right? Now you can find, now you can see me. The candle is um, not only attracting attention to myself, but also the, the flame itself, it's carrying the message to the spirits uh, faster. So I've always had this connection, this affinity for candles and being a, a business owner and entrepreneur is something that I've always wanted to do. This is it's not something that just came out of nowhere. It's um, It was always my goal to in life. I said, no matter what happens, I will have my own business. I just never knew how that business was going to manifest or what type of business I would be doing. Um, I somehow candle was always the thing. Like I picked up, a, I picked up the idea that I was going to <laughs> make scented candles and um, with essential oils and all this natural stuff in it. And I'm like, what is it with candles, 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 candles just won't go away. They keep following me. Candles, everything goes back to a candle. Mm. Um, and here I am, like, it's the way that that manifested and the way that that was created. I felt like life was kind of, my spirits were throwing little um, little hints at me, like that this is what I would be doing and this is where I would be. Um, and then through my initiations, I ended up finding out that I have, that I have this very intimate connection with, with fire. And I have the same connection with, with water. Each of, we all have that element. It might be one element or multiple elements that respond to us faster than others, or we connect with it faster than others. Water and fire is me. Mm, mm. Even with my candle rituals in part of the, um, I, with my candles, I send instructions. And even with the instructions, there's a portion where your candle has to be worked with water. Ooh, I want to hear more about that. We are going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Awesome. Today's episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Blood Milk Jewels. I have loved Blood Milk for years because each piece of their jewelry has a story that adds to its aesthetics and talismanic qualities. Their designs are inspired by seances and surrealism and shadowy goddesses and so many more of my favorite things. They use materials like sterling silver and natural crystals and gemstones such as moonstone, labradorite, and onyx. And so each piece is crafted to be psychic armor. I also love that they've been handmade in Philadelphia using local resources since 2008 and that it's a female-owned and operated company. So check out bloodmilkjewels.com and adorn yourself with dark, sparkling beauty. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today I'm speaking with Jessica Winston of House of Hoodoo. So Jessica, we were talking about candle magic, and I was realizing that, and this is entirely on me, you know, we, we never actually finished the story of how you came from the DR to New Orleans and got yourself, you know, to getting on this pathway to fire. So I'm wondering, how did you 
come over to America and how did you fall in love with this uh, this culture? I came to the States when I was a, a young teenager. I've only been living in New Orleans since last September. Before that, uh, when we left Dominican Republic, we went to New York and that's where we, that New York is full of Dominicans. It's a lot, a lot of our cultures there. It's like the natural spot sure. <laughs> for, for our Caribbeans to go to. So we lived in New York. From New York, we went to Florida. From Florida, I moved with my partner to Los Angeles. And just recently in September, I made it um, to New Orleans. Uh, with this culture, voodoo culture, hoodoo, and, and then the practice of hoodoo, it, oh my goodness, it's such a long story to share, but there was a part of me that always, that felt like something was missing um, in my life. Like I had this wound or, or something was broken, like a root was broken that I needed to bind, that I needed to put back together. And I, um, hoodoo was introduced to me, I think it was, it was brought into my life somewhere around 2007, 2008, 2008. Um, where I met someone who um, who's actually from the Appalachian Mountains, and I learned through him this practice. And through in and out of my life, I kept meeting different people who practice and different people who are from the South and different people who just kept bringing this back into my life. And it just, it, I wasn't necessarily looking at it directly in the face because I don't think I was, at that time, I wasn't ready for it, but I was very intrigued. And it also felt very familiar to what I was exposed to when I was a kid and um, very familiar to the things that my grandmother was doing and that her, you know, her healer friends were doing and the voodoo people were doing. It's just felt very familiar to me. And that's where, when I was the, I opened up to it. I was about around 2009. Okay. Um, yes. So it was, it came into my life in and out through people that I just kept meeting, you know, that serendipity sure, thing. The sure. Sure. Is kind of conspiring trying to introduce you to something. I picked up some books on my own just to see what I could pick up from books, but I'm not necessarily a fan of the books that have been written about hoodoo or root work because there's there's a, there's a substance there that's missing. If you want to read those books for the sake of just a little bit of history and a little bit of background, absolutely, but there's a substance there that's missing because hoodoo and root work and conjure is very similar in essence to voodoo in the sense that it is in an oral tradition mm -hmm. and is and is passed down from from culture to culture from family to family from practitioner to practitioner it's not just something that you pick up in a book um and so i started putting together everything that i learned and this created this beautiful ancestral connection for me where I remember at the time I was looking for a teacher and I went to a reader and I said, oh, you know, I'm I'm in this place in my life where I need a teacher. And the reader said, well, honey, physical teacher, you won't find your teachers are your ancestors. And there's a gang of spirits around you that are just waiting for you to look at them in the face and they'll teach you what you need to know. And that's exactly what I did. I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know how I'm going to open communication with these spirits around me, but I'm going to figure it out. And it all started with candle. I just started lighting candles and praying to candles and then fixing candles to open channel of communication with these spirits. And they started coming to me in dreams and leaving little breadcrumbs and, and, and teaching me things. And, and that has been my journey with, with hoodoo and with root work. and mm, That's gorgeous. It's also, I think, really helpful to hear that you 
kind of grew up around a tradition, but that you kind of fell away from it for a while and then found your way back. And because I think a lot of people have this misconception that their spiritual practice has to be some kind of unbroken line or a straight line. And so many people I know, they have a much more winding journey of discovery. And sometimes you get back into something that you loved when you were little, or sometimes you look back and realized, oh my goodness, I was attracted to this one plant all along, but you don't realize until you're older what that meant, you know? So I really appreciate hearing about your, your whole pathway. Absolutely. My, my connection to, to my culture and my roots, all of that kind of got broken when we moved, when we left the island and we moved to the States and then our family separated. My grandmother stayed in New York and then my, my parents and I moved to Florida and the, the, the exposure wasn't there anymore. You know, I wasn't going on these journeys with her to see these healers and I wasn't around her altars anymore. Now I was surrounded by my parents who are much more fixed in the, in the mundane and are a little bit terrified of the spiritual side, even though that fear is fading because of me, which I'm really proud of. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was, it's been a journey to, to kind of reconnect all these things. And then I'm having all these old memories of my childhood coming back. It's like, Oh my God, I remember I saw this. So I remember my, you know, being exposed to this. And I remember I will hear songs like voodoo songs and I'll remember the songs. Like I remember hearing this song when I was a kid, I'll remember the words and I don't even know. And I'm like, I don't even speak the language, but I remember the words that somehow my same thing is happening to my parents. Um, it's been, it's been pretty wonderful. It really has been. It's been, it's felt like we kind of, even with my family along with me, we kind of like jumped into this rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have this beautiful thing that you wrote on your site. You said, voodoo has to extend you an invitation. Always remember that you are its guest. And I think that's really interesting, certainly in the context of your own life. But I'm also interested to hear your thoughts on, you know, for people who haven't grown up in this tradition, who aren't from Haiti, who aren't from the DR, maybe they're even people like me who are white. I mean, I'm curious if you have strong feelings in either direction regarding who can practice voodoo. I, as far as um, background and race, I don't have any, but the voodoo, voodoo, you know, chooses who it wants. Um, The flesh is such a impermanent thing. You know what I mean? Like maybe in this lifetime, you are a certain color or of a certain race or culture and you don't know where you were in the past Mm -hmm. and you don't know what you will, what you will come out, you know, what you will be in the future either. That's why um, instead of, looking for voodoo let it come to you because if it chooses you it's because some part of you in the past in the present in the future has a connection to it and the and the extension of the invitation the the invitation process is very bold it's not yeah you won't even you won't even question it when the voodoo comes knocking on your door and extends an invitation and tells you hey um we kind of we like you and we want you in here etc etc you'll know You'll know that <laughs> I, I can't, I will not give details because then people will start, you know what I mean? Um, making up their own stories. I can't give the details, but I've had readings. I've done readings for, for people who, um, 
because I don't necessarily read with, with, with my spirits. I just read tarot. It's all very intuitive. It's all very spiritual, mm-hmm. you know, ancestral kind of conversation. And I've read for women before who would just randomly share this experience they had. And I'm like, oh, my God. Okay, so this is what's happening. You're being <laughs> called on by blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yes, yes. It's like, this is where you need to go. This is what you need to do. I can't tell you anymore. It's like this secret society <laughs> type of yes, thing. Yes, yes. That's very much how Vodou has preserved itself and how it protects itself by its secrets and working in riddles and in codes. Nothing is clear. Nothing is as it seems. You just kind of got to follow the breadcrumbs. Yes. That said, am I correct that certain Lua, they have preferences for things? I mean, I, I've, you know, read lots of these books where they're like, Oshun loves the color yellow or, you know, things like that. This this spirit is particularly attracted to a certain kind of liquor. Is that true? Or do you find that they're a little bit more flexible than the books might have us think? Oh, no, there are uh, actually the spirits are a lot more difficult than any book will ever tell you they are. <laughs> Absolutely. Like Oshunye Maya, Oya, those are Orishas of, of the Yoruba, and they have their own thing, their own taboos, their own um, rules, guidelines, and regulations that because I'm not necessarily initiated in, in that side, I try not to speak on it because it's oh, not see, my... So I'm misspeaking again. So Oshun is not... I, I was under the impression that Oshun was a Vodou Lua. No, she's an Orisha. She belongs to Santeria, Yoruba, Lukumi. She's not a Lua. Okay. See, I needed to do better studying for this, Jessica. <laughs> I apologize. Not, the information that's out there, it's very misleading. And oftentimes you'll see a candle or, or something for Oshun with Erzuli Freda's Veve, where the Orishas don't use Veve at all. The, the Orishas don't have Veve, so there's no reason why uh, there should be like a symbol for Oshun or a Veve for Oshun. Usually for, you know, this it, the Veve belong to um, Vodou. And the Veve is a sigil or a magical diagram that is associated with a certain Lua. Is that correct? Actually, a veve, it's a story. The veve tells you who that spirit is, where that spirit comes from, what the spirit likes, what lineage, what part of Africa, what part of Haiti. It's a story. It's, it's a very, very personal story of that spirit. So the, so is that word not also used for the diagram or the picture? Because that, that's how I've heard people use it, unless I'm mistaken. I, a lot of people use it for art and loosey goosey, and I'm not a, I'm I personally I'm not a fan of that because the veve is a very intimate private conversation between the the you know the one who's serving and the loa. Ah, oh, okay, okay. Every, like every line, every dot, every like everything on that veve tells you the it's the blueprint of that spirit. Ah, oh, that's a beautiful way of putting it. Okay, that's really helpful. And but the blueprint does it have variations, or is it, you know, a, a certain image will always be associated with a certain spirit? It has variations. For instance, um, if you, I can. Freda has variations in her veve. Every loa has variations in its veve because Vodou even Vodou ha, comes from different lineages, different parts of Haiti, different parts of Africa. And um, in the spirits, you maybe you came from a lineage of North Haiti, 
And I came from a lineage of South Haiti. So by the Veve I'm using, you can tell whether I came from the South or the North. Wow, how fascinating. I had no idea about that. You know, my familiarity with Veves are when you go to like a candle shop in New Orleans and you buy a candle for a certain spirit and they'll have this certain diagram on it. Like it, it was as simple as that. Um, okay. and it, of course, it's much more complex than, than I realized. Yes. On that note, we're going to take another quick break and we'll be right back. Manifest Box is a complete spell in a box delivered straight to your door. It has everything you need to cast your magic, including ritual candles, candle holders, handmade and blessed anointing oil, step-by-step ritual instructions, and more. Pre-orders for their very first box, the Prosperity Box, are open now and they'll start shipping in early July. Get in the first round of small batch shipments. Get some prosperity. Your spell box can be delivered anywhere in the U.S. or Canada, and it has everything you need to make some powerful prosperity magic. Manifest Box is for everyone from beginner witches to more advanced witches on the go. Each box is hand-curated, infused with crystal energy, and blessed under a waxing moon for maximum abundance. Learn about the Prosperity Box, available now for pre-order at manifestbox.com. And if you use offer code WITCHWAVE15, you'll get 15% off your first box, and that deal is good through the end of August. So head on over to manifestbox.com, use offer code WITCHWAVE15 for 15% off, and pre-order your prosperity spell kit from Manifest Box today. Welcome back to the Witch Wave. I'm speaking with Jessica Winston. So Jessica, you are giving me such a generous primer of uh, Vodou and so many different terms. I, I actually think we're spending more time on that than I expected to, but I think it's really, really important because I'm someone who's studied this uh, a fair amount, certainly not with, obviously not with any great depth. And I'm learning that there are so many things that I mislearned or that I, you know, had had the wrong assumptions about. So I really thank you for taking the time to talk us through. But I want to get back to you. I want to get back to your services that you offer. Um, in addition to the fixed candles, you also source all kinds of beautiful smudges and magical ingredients such as Rose of Jericho, which is a gorgeous plant. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you use it. So why is it that you're also offering these types of materials on your site in addition to the candles? I am offering materials that I have been using in my practice for years and also things that I grew up watching my grandmother use. House of Hoodoo itself is a very personal business for me. It's a personal shop for me. Everything that I, um, as time goes on, I will roll out more products, more herbs, more plants, and and how to use them for medicine and how to use them for magic as well. And it's, it's me sharing with the world my personal practice and also my culture, my traditions, my roots, um, 
and um, what has worked for me. And, and yeah, that's the, like the Rose of Jericho. My godmother here has, <laughs> my godmother has them in her shop here in New Orleans. I've always had Rose of Jericho in my house because my, you know, I grew up from with my grandmother always having them on her altars, um, using them for many, di- you know, different purposes. I used to watch her use the water in the Rose of Jericho bowl that she keeps to mop the floors and this and that. So it's me sharing with my following, with my clients, with my customer, with the world, my very own personal practice in the practice of my family and the practice of my culture. It's gorgeous. And the Rose of Jericho, as I understand it, it's also called the resurrection plant. And it comes, it looks like this dried brown, almost like um, a tumbleweed or a bushel of pine needles or something that you can hold in your hand. But then you put it into water and it kind of blooms and turns green and unfurls. It's so beautiful to watch. And I, I I'm curious how you might recommend someone incorporate Rose of Jericho into their practice. Rose of Jericho is, it's wonderful. So the Rose of Jericho that we use these days, the one that you, that I sell, the one that um, practitioners have been using for years, the ones that you find in spiritual shops and botanicas comes from Mexico. The plants that was traditionally given the name Rose of Jericho comes from Mexico. The plant that actually was given the traditional name Rose of Jericho, I believe it's it was found in some parts of Asia and then it was found in some parts of Africa. And this plant itself was given the name Rose of Jericho because it kind of has a similar effect where it closes and it opens up when it's wet. Um, and that it, even that one that you find in, in Asia and in Africa um, has little flower buds. But the thing is that you can't, that plant, it's very delicate. So it's missing the element, even though it was given the name, the resurrection plant, because it you know kind of dies and comes back to life. That's a very delicate plant that if you damage its roots, it's dead. The one that we use now is a sturdy plant that is very difficult to kill. And this is why we use it for magic, to absorb that power, to take that power. The power of you can't break me. I cannot die. I come back to life. And this is the one that we traditionally use. Now, we put it in water, in a bowl of water, um, and you can use that water for many things. You can use that water to mop your floors of your home or of your business to attract prosperity, to attract abundance and wealth. Uh, some people use it to, um, the same water people, some people use it to wipe their, the, the doors of their business, of their home down, same thing to just bring in good energies, um, bring in blessings, prosperity and abundance. It can be used as well for protection because again, it's an indestructible thing. So it gives you that power of, oh, you cannot break me. You cannot harm me type of thing. I will always resurrect. I will always come back to life. So it's also used for protection. Um, some people let it dry up completely and then crush it and use that those the powder that they make out of it to fix candles. Really? So it's mm-hmm. an herb that they'll put into the actual wax or sprinkle on the top of the candle? They can sprinkle it on top of a candle or put it in the actual wax. Yeah. I love that idea of Rose of Jericho because it makes me think of Phoenix energy, you know, the dying and then being reborn and all of the fire magic being involved with that too, I think is really, really powerful. Mm -hmm. It's one of my favorite um, tools to have around. I use it, I use it a lot. I use it personally for spiritual baths, 
to clean my floors, to clean around my workspace. Um, I use them sometimes to fix candles. I'd, I'd love, I have them all over. I have them on my altars as offerings. My ancestor altar has them as an offering. You know, it's a death resurrection thing, so it makes sense to have them on the ancestral altar. I have them on my work table, um, in my apothecary. I, I love having them around. I love their energy. I love seeing them completely close up and die and then just add a little water and it comes back to life. And then it reminds me of the force that water is, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's so beautiful. So I was reading on your site that you are interested in something that you call backwoods spirituality. And I just love that turn of phrase. What exactly did you mean by that? Backwoods, it's what we have. It's, it's, it's spiritual traditions that we hide and we don't talk about, which is Root work, hoodoo, conjure is considered backwards. It's that thing that, that little, that think about going to the woods and finding some random shaman and healer living in some shack. Yes. <laughs> who has all the magic and all the tricks and all, you know, knows everything, knows how to use a bone for this, how to use a plant for this, how to use an herb for this, how to, um, you know, shut someone up or get you out of court, like all that type of stuff. That's what, you know, some people call it, some people call it root work and conjure backwards shamanism um, because it's that back then it was practiced in such a manner and backwards meaning um, what you hide. You don't, we don't, root workers traditionally in voodoo, you don't have altars because you kind of hide the work that you're doing from other people. You don't want to expose your magic to other people because you don't know who, is working with you who's working against you like back then you don't know who your enemies were you know what i mean like yes you don't you didn't know who meant you ill and who meant you who meant well so everything was protected if you were doing work on somebody you would protect it you would hide it in a cabinet or in your bathroom if um if you lived in a house full of people you don't want to expose your magic to everybody it's meant to be this thing between you it's just meant to be between you and your magic so that's an interesting point to bring up in this age of instagram and i mean hey you're on a podcast right now talking about this right so how do you navigate how much of your practice to share to speak about to take pictures of versus what you're keeping for yourself and and what do you make of this digital world of spirituality now um i'm actually i'm i'm all about i i i understand the process of sharing i'm actually i love it's a platform i use a lot of my platform to share to share stories um to share images to share my practice but there has to be some form of there has to be some some secrecy some privacy some discernment because these are things a lot of it has to do with you um uh it's these practices are meant to be private and personal to an extent like for instance with the voodoo i don't share everything about it um i there's there are hundreds of stories that i don't tell because i can't tell uh, my altars, I have altars that are for, for my spirits and I don't share those, uh, especially now that I'm initiated 
I share my working altar. <laughs> yes, yes. I also my working altar, meaning this is where if I fix a candle, this is where I would fix, this is where I sit my candle. You know, if I'm doing a ritual, burning incense, praying to my magic, this is where I do it. You've got to sort of like assimilate it and, and personalize it and figure out within yourself and within your spirits what's okay to share and what isn't. I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not necessarily a fan of, people who do work for others instant like who do uh services for others and them sharing their root work mm, mm. Like, like saying this is some this is a service that i'm doing for a client i'm not a fan of that because then you have all these people looking at it judging it and all that energy affects it Absolutely. And so when you're talking about initiation, I imagine that that there's not too much you can share about that. But is that um, are, are you referring to becoming a priestess? Is that the initiation that you went through? Or is it something else? Absolutely. I am initiated in Mamiwata in West. I went to Ghana and I lived there for some months and I became initiated in West African Vudun specifically the voodoo, the voodoo that comes from Ghana and the voodoo that comes from Benin. Um, I went and became a Mamiwata priestess and a priestess of other things that I can't speak on. I can't speak about because mm-hmm. those are, those are a little bit more like backwards things that I don't share. I understand. Um, and then I be, I also became initiated in Haitian voodoo and that is a process uh, my initiations with hate with either lineage, whether West African and Haitian voodoo, I'm still not finished with my initiations. It's like it's like little by little. I see. So there are different <laughs> stages of them. Absolutely. There's um there's a hierarchy, little by, bit by bit. You start um you start it's going through levels. Yeah, it reminds me of although I'm sure what you're talking about probably came first, but it reminds me of like Freemasonry or some other kind of initiatory path where there are different phases or stages and you go deeper and deeper with it. Does that seem like a fair parallel? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. There's a lot of uh, Freemasonry in uh, in the Vodou. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when when you're referring to yourself as a priestess, you know, in addition to that being a term I imagine is applying to you in the Vodou community, in, um, you know, also in terms of the way in which perhaps the spirits interact with you or you interact with them, but are you also doing literal rituals the way I'm imagining a priest or a priestess to do that are more for the public? Like, could someone come to you and say, hello, I know you're a priestess. Can you please do a blessing for me or a ritual? Or is it not for public consumption at all? I have um, I have the ability to do that, but I don't because um, let's to, to break it down. When you become a priest or priestess in these traditions, you receive the title, but the title doesn't mean anything until you have the years of knowledge and experience. For instance, in Haitian Vodou, before you can go and branch off and be this full fledged priestess and have your own house and your own temple with your own godchildren. I mean, you can have your godchildren before, but there's a seven year period where you are to be under your godparents before you can go and open your own house and can really say, um, you know, it's like going through school, right? It's like, I can really say, 
I'm a priestess. I made it, you know, I graduated under my godmother. <laughs> yes, yes. So, yeah. so it's almost like you're apprenticing before that. Exactly. You have the title, but until that seven-year period, and it's not just like, oh, seven years I came and went. It's seven years of hardcore you being at the hip of your elders and at the hip of your godparents and learning everything that they are to teach you and making them proud. And, um, it's, 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 there's, there's so much involved mm-hmm. and be, before you can call your, I, for, I personally don't feel I am able to do that type of work, but I have, I don't do it because I don't feel like I'm there yet. Got it. Got it. And so now that you're living in New Orleans, which to my mind is one of the most magical and historically rich places on the planet, um, there's this quote by Bob Dylan that I always think about. He wrote in his uh, autobiography that everything in New Orleans is a good idea. I just think that's so great. I think of it every time I travel there. And Uh, You know, one thing that's interesting to me about New Orleans is it reminds me a little bit of Salem in that you have these towns where, you know, there are these spiritual traditions and cultural traditions, but there's also a tourism component, right? There's also a commodification component of people who might not know very much about the history or about the culture, who are still going to the shops and buying the magic candles or what have you. And obviously, you own a business, which is a wonderful, powerful thing. So how do you reconcile that commercial aspect with the spiritual aspect? Like, do you think the spirits are cool with voodoo shops? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So There are, New Orleans voodoo, it's its own thing. It's its own monster, I guess, or its own creation. Um, And when you come here to New Orleans and you go to shops on on Bourbon Street or anything that sells you voodoo, and you'll see it, it's spelled V-O-O-D-O-O. Yep. That's that's New Orleans brand of voodoo, which is very much connected to Marie Laveau. It's got a lot of magic in it, a lot of, uh, it's, it's, it's a bit of a mix of voodoo and root work and hoodoo. It's got Grigri bags and magic and spells and all, and all this um, nonsense because Murray was big. Uh, Murray had a part of her. She was the one who made it okay to um, make uh, have this public image of voodoo where she would have like public um, ceremonies. We don't do that. Like that's not, that's not traditional voodoo. Okay, but you That's, do you do have a shop online. You do have services that you offer, mm-hmm. um, and so what about that piece of it? I mean, I always tell people that I think anyone who's making a living or doing a service deserves to be paid for it. But right. I'm wondering what your perspective is on that. Well, my shop, my shop online and my services have nothing to do with Vodou. It's all connected. It's all hoodoo. It's all hoodoo root work. It's my magic. It's my magical practice. My magic tradition It's my rituals has nothing to do with voodoo. Voodoo doesn't have spells and magic and things like that. And, um, and that's where a lot of people get it mixed in. Like you'll have a lot, you'll see in social media, so many people who are like treating voodoo, like it's uh, some type of eclectic witchcraft or solo practitioner witchcraft. And it's, and it's not, it's, it's a culture, it's a family thing. It has nothing to do with witchcraft and magic and spells in, in rituals and candles. 
Um, we have service. It's, it's we have services. We have you know temples and churches, and we have prayers. It's not it's not magic and incense and things like that. Even though there are some spirits who would who like those things as as an offering, but we don't we don't do spell casting. We don't do magic. We don't do mojo bags. We don't do things like that. That doesn't have to do with voodoo. I don't do I don't use my voodoo as a product. I don't mm-hmm. sell my voodoo. That's one of the things like I've, I've said it in my social media. It's like, I don't sell my voodoo. My voodoo is not for sale. Yes. Okay. But your hoodoo, you're happy mm-hmm. to do that as a service for other people. Uh, you know, I've read so many testimonials of customers of yours who have used your candles and so on, who, you know, these things seem to really work. They really help them. And, you know, it seems to really change their lives for the better. I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful service that you're offering. Um, but I appreciate you making that distinction because, you know, I, I think it, it's, it's a really thoughtful one yes voodoo is my my faith right my my spiritual foundation my faith it's it's how i perceive the world it's 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 my it's the cosmology that i believe in in how i interact with the universe how i interact with spirit with people um with life with experience itself it's the foundation of of my life it's my faith it's my belief system um, but hoodoo is my practice, my, my way of being, of being a healer, of being of service of, especially since I chose, I personally chose not to use my priesthood in my title to, to assist others and call on my spirits and feed my spirits and go through all of that. It's a lot of work. I chose to instead keep that as a personal thing. This is for me. This is between me and my spirits. And then I have my root work, my hoodoo, my magic that I extend with the blessing of my spirits to help others out. This, you know, that's my candle magic. Those are my, you know, my Rose of Jericho, my incense, my powders, you know, herb, spiritual bath, floor washes, all of that. That's so interesting. I really appreciate um, you clarifying that for me because, yeah, I was really curious. And and it's fascinating to me how you have these different identities or different ways of orienting yourself toward the spiritual world. It's it's really, really interesting. And obviously, you've thought a lot about it and put a lot of heart into this. So we're, we're coming up on time, but I just wanted to leave listeners with perhaps – something that they could take away from this conversation uh, because a lot of people listen to this podcast because they have things in their lives that they're working through. I mean, hey, who who doesn't, right? And so I'm wondering if someone were to go to House of Hoodoo and they were to procure a candle from you, um, first of all, how do you recommend they think about what to choose and how should they then use the candle? I use my candle in my practice solely to better the life and the experience of others. Whether it's financial, whether it's love, you know, protection, you feel sick, you need peace in your life, whatever it is. All of my candles do have um, their description, which is why I always recommend go over, just read the description, see what feels for you. If it's for your business, there's a candle for business. If it's for protection, there's a candle for protection. If you need healing in your life, whether it's healing physically or even emotional healing, heart healing, whatever it is, there's a healing candle for that. 
my work is tailored around healing. We don't just fix the problem. We heal the energy around the problem and the problem fixes itself. Mm, I love that. That's great. And so when someone is lighting a candle, um, your candles, you know, they're, they're the standard kind of four to five day candle size. Um, a question I get asked all the time is if someone's doing candle magic, but they don't want to leave the candle burning the whole time or they need to walk away from it. Do you recommend that, you know, then they just don't use it at all? Or is it okay if they kind of do it in increments? Candle magic is definitely most effective when the flame is left uninterrupted, when it's not interrupted, when you don't, it's, when you don't put it out, when you just let, you know, don't expose it to, it's best to let it be consistent. Um, that's how fire is best if it's consistent and not bothered. But that's not to say that it won't work because I have, I've had to snuff out my candle myself and I've had clients who do it for safety reasons. They have children, they have animals, they can just leave it around. Um, and it still works. You just got to put a little more, a little extra prayer and elbow juice into it because every time you snuff it out and you relight it, you have to recharge the candle with your intention, with your own heat, with your own prayer. So you have to work at it a little harder because you, you know, you're cutting off the process and you need to re-energize it. Definitely never blow your candle out. You want to snuff it out either, you know, lick your fingers and put out the flame or just put something over it um, and let the flame go out on, on its own. Yes, I was taught the same thing that um, my teacher told me that if you blow your candle out, it's like you're blowing away the energy or the spirits. And that's why snuffing is always preferable. Mm-hmm. And um, and I noticed that you suggest putting the candle in a bowl of water as well. Is that for safety reasons or are there spiritual components to that too? There are spiritual components to that. There's a part of it that is for safety reasons. The water will protect the candle from, um, if you put in a, definitely you want to put in a big enough bowl where, where there is space and the candle sit in there comfortably. If anything happens, it'll fall into the water and the water will, you know, works as a protective barrier. Um, but also the water represents the spirits in itself. So when you're praying to the fire, you're also praying to the water. The water is also listening to you. The water itself is a spirit. And um, a lot of us are kind of disconnected with the aspect that water listens. I love that. And water listens. Yes, yes. And I noticed that you said something else that I was taught to, but I'd love to hear your final thoughts on this, that when you're manifesting something or trying to manifest something, that if you speak in present tense rather than future tense, it tends to be more effective. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Absolutely. So instead of saying, I want this, I want because when you put such things as desire behind what you're asking for, I want money, I want this, I want that. You'll have the universe in spirits who will just, who are just going to continue to throw at you the desire of want. They'll just keep throwing at you the want feeling. I want, I want, I want. Instead of the 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 fulfill the fulfillment, which is to have that in the present tense. So if you talk about it as if you already live in that life, as if you already have it. Um, you are already, you are creating that reality instead of, if you say, I want this amount, I want this, I want that, I want this, I want that. You're not, you're putting this like open-ended 
time frame <laughs> for yes. it to come to you instead of saying it I have it right now so so someone might say I am successful I have forty thousand dollars I you know that that kind of language absolutely I work like I have the job of my dreams where I get in I have the job of my dreams. I make this much money every week, every month, however you want to say it. I work with amazing people. I love my coworkers. I wake up every day happy and excited to go to work. That type of stuff. You want to you want to put emphasis and energy into you already have it. You are already living it. Allow your your imagination to go to that place where you can taste it, you can feel it, you can smell it. You're in that space. I have forty million dollars. Then, <laughs> gotta 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 update that a little bit if we're you know speaking out loud right now. So, Jessica, before we go, I am curious about one thing. You know, this is the Witch Wave podcast, and I know as recently as a couple years ago. Um, the character of Marie Laveau was on American Horror Story Coven and was considered a witch. But I am wondering what your relationship is to the word witch. Is that a word you're comfortable using in general and in regard to yourself, or does it not feel quite right? I have always felt very comfortable with the term witch because to my understanding, for me personally, a witch is... So it's not an image, it's about knowledge, it's about wisdom, it's about a friend coming to you and telling me that she's going through something and as I'm able to advise her on her situation, I'm also like maybe fixing a candle for her or telling her to, you know, putting together this herbal tea for her. Like this is such a such a lifestyle, all-encompassing, all but knowledge and wisdom is what comes to me when I think of the word witch. It's not an image to me, it's it's... It's a way of life. It's how you carry yourself. It's your knowledge of self and your knowledge of the universe and the laws and the earth and how we're all connected and how we can benefit from our resources to better our experience. Like that's to me what a witch is. Spectacular. I just love that. Thank you. Thank you. I really hope you'll come back on the show now that we've gotten through a lot of the Vodou 101 talk um, because there's so much else I'd love to speak with you about and you're just such a lovely, lovely, thoughtful person. So um, before we go, Jessica, where can people find you? Where can people find your candles and your other magical services? best way to um, stay in contact and interact with me and to be updated on what's going on with my journey, my stories. I share a lot of my stories. Um, It's House of Hoodoo, H-A-U-S of Hoodoo, H-O-O-D-O-O. So that's my Instagram, House of Hoodoo. And, um, and through Instagram, you can also find my website, which is under House of Hoodoo. And that's where you'd be able to purchase my products. I restock my product every Saturday um, at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. Um, definitely do. I, I always encourage people to follow me on Instagram. There's a, there's a good amount of information that I share. There's free information, um, lots of substance, lots of stories, lots of me explaining and sharing about my journey and where I'm at right now and um, and how to stay connected with me. And, and you know, just kind of like be, let's, it's a community thing. We're all somewhat involved in each other's experience and I like to use my platform to give people that feel that we're all 
connected. That is beautiful. And I just want to really emphasize that the reason that you're telling everyone when you restock your shop is because you sell out all the time and, in my experience, pretty quickly. So she's serious when she says, <laughs> you know, you, you pay attention to that deadline because uh, you, you got to get in there if there's something that you're feeling that you need from Jessica. Um, yes. Yes. Jessica, thank you so much. I so appreciate your time and your patience with my questions and um, my learning on the fly. And I just wish you all the good things. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This has been great. Um, I've had a good time chatting with you. Thank you. You take care. You too. That's it for the show. Thank you again to Jessica Winston for joining me and for making the world more fiery and inspiring. Do you have questions, feedback, need some witchly advice, or just want to share something magical that happened to you? Drop me an email at witchwavepodcast at gmail.com and you might just make it on the witch wire. The Witch Wave is produced and recorded by me, Pam Grossman. This episode was edited by Chiquita Pascal. Thank you, Chiquita, and myself. Our theme music is by Lycanthia. Special thanks go to Matt Freeman. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website, witchwavepodcast.com. Please subscribe to us on iTunes and give us lots of shimmering stars. It makes a really big difference. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And if you have an iPhone, you really might dig my witch emoji for iMessage. Fill your texts with witches, spellcraft objects, and magical symbols in a variety of skin tones, genders, and colors by searching for witch emoji, all one word, in the App Store, or by going to witchemoji.com. Thank you so much for listening. Witches are the future. I'll catch you next time on The Witch Wave.